Well, hello, whore hunts. It's your host, V. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> I am dying. It's not V, it's actually Meg. Hello. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> I knew you were going to laugh at that. That's why I did it. I've been thinking about that all morning. <laughs> I can't go with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just going to be me laughing for like most of this section. <laughs> I can't even, even introduce myself because I'm just like, <laughs> still laughing it's so horrible much. my accent i think i sent you a voice memo of me when we were in nashville and i had been drinking and i had done like a british accent and like mate when you're drunk it's so much better <laughs> <laughs> well i kept telling um val i was like we need to go to bars and like just pretend to be british and val's like i can't do an accent and i'm like neither can i that's why it's gonna be so good <laughs> I love doing an accent, but like when I get put on a spot to do an accent, I just shut down and can't do it. So you couldn't introduce yourself with an American accent saying that you're Meg? I could do a Valley Girl accent. Do I have a Valley I don't Girl think I accent could... though? No, no, but I can't do like your accent. <laughs> I can do like a Valley. Okay. But not like whatever yours is. I don't feel like I have an accent, but I'm sure to other people, yeah, in America, they they think that I have an accent, but I don't have, like, a real accent, like, from eastern Kentucky or oh, anything, but I know how to do you it. You don't have the good old country I don't accent. have a southern accent, but I've heard it enough times that I think that I can do a southern accent pretty well, but... You could be a southern little belle when you come over here to visit oh, me. Oh, bless your heart. You could be like, oh, hello, everybody. Yes, I sure can. My name's Meg. Yep, hello. Nice. I sure can. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Pull your bootstraps up, baby. We're about to go out. That's what I'm going to start telling oh, people. Oh, I love it. <laughs> ah, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, hello, horror hunts. Um, it's Meg. Is that a better intro for you, V? Can you finally, like, formally introduce yourself? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but... You know, <laughs> it's still not as funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm your other host, B. And we're going to have silly, goofy energy for a topic that's not technically silly, goofy. This uh, American Psycho that we're going to get into later is, I mean, it's like yeah. a satire, but like also... It's, oh, trust me, Patrick Bateman is a silly, goofy boy. He is. Like, he is just in silly, goofy moods the whole film. Yeah, but before we get into <laughs> silly, goofy Patrick Bateman, I think that we both have horror news that we wanted to talk about this week. I'll let you take it away. Yeah, you basically got majority of the horror news, but I'll start off with my silly, goofy one. Sure. My silly, goofy little horror news, because most of it overlaps apart from this one. Um... I wanted to talk about the two people that had been added to the cast of the 12th season of American Horror Story, which is Emma Roberts, Ugh. which, you know, she has become basically an American Horror Story scene queen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and the next one is very interesting because uh, she can't act out of a paper bag to save her life. And that is Kim Kardashian. So do we know what this season of American Horror Story is? No. So they don't really tell you what it is until they start. It's closer to the season. Okay. But I think the title of the season is Delegate. See, part of me also could think that it is she's going to be playing herself. Maybe. Maybe. But, yeah, I I don't think that I would um, think that she's going to be a very serious role by any means. But I always do a thing with American Horror Stories. I watch, like, the first three episodes of a season that I'm like, oh, I'm not interested. And then, like, four years go by and I'm like, all right, fuck it, I'll watch it. And it ends up normally being pretty good. I started yeah. stories, like American Horror Stories, but I never mm. finished it. So um, maybe by yeah. the time, like, not this season, but the following season is out, I'll get around to watching the most recent seasons. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it, I get, like, it's an anthology season, like, series, so, like, they can do whatever stories they want and fresh however it's 12 fucking seasons now he is making his money's worth out of this fucking franchise isn't i mean he? people still watch it so that's why i um i stopped watching it really after cult yeah um same here because there was like really heavy scenes in cult that still kind of like stick with me like when they trap those two people in the um caskets in their house when they lock them in there that like fucks me yeah. up but also that that nail gun scene do you remember that that or like yeah. s- industrial stapler i don't know what it was that scene was like really like fuck dude yeah i have this weird thing i will be enjoying like a series or a season and especially like in Cole. There was like after I watched Cole, I was like, I don't really want to watch this anymore because there was one particular actress in there that I absolutely fucking hate with a passion. And as soon as I see her in something, I immediately am like, I don't want to fucking watch this anymore because I fucking hate her so much. I was literally about to say like that's why I didn't watch um what the fuck is that one called? Where Apocalypse. Can we say the actress at the same time and see if it's the same person? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, do you want to count down? Do you want me to? I'll count down. Okay. Okay. One, two, three. Leslie. Lena Grossman. Dunham. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Lena Dunham. She was in AHS? She was in Cult. I'm pretty sure I remember seeing her in Cult. I I can't fucking stand Lena Dunham either, but like I didn't. Me I guess I didn't neither. peep it. I don't know, which is weird. I've like I started watching Scandal because it kept getting suggested to me on TikTok, and I've gotten to like se- series four of it. Right, Lena Dunham appeared, and I'm like, I don't want to watch this TV show anymore. <laughs> Speaking of Lena Dunham, do you want to know who like I guess at the beginning of his career who? was friends with Lena Dunham and was in some of his work. Ty West. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I know. And Ty I'm like, West. Ty, baby, I hope you evolved. But um, yeah, for me, it's Leslie Grossman. Like, I just, there's something about her. She plays the same sort of role 
in every fucking AHS season. And she's just like an uppity, annoying lady. Like, I just don't, none of her characters are good. So when I see her in American Horror Story, I'm like, oh, here we fucking go again, dude. Like, hmm. Same thing, different shape, basically. Yeah. And yeah. It's just, you you just get those certain actors or actresses. Don't doesn't mean like they're bad at what they do or anything like that. It's just personal preference. But like, as soon as I see certain people, I don't want to watch it anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm really bad about that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I am also a Tom Cruise hater through and through. I basically refuse to watch anything he's in. Because he, his face makes me feel violently ill. That's, I mean, I agree with that. But also, that's how I feel about Scarlett Johansson. You know, I kind of see it. <laughs> I kind of see it. You know? Um, But I think we'll definitely have to watch episodes that Kim's in. Just because I want to see what they're going to have her as. Yes. I think if we're going to... Re- if we ever cover American Horror Story, there is one particular season I think we should cover. Which is? Hotel? No. It is. Hold on. I want to get house. it correct. No. Asylum. Coven. 1984. Oh, bitch. Yeah, we're doing it. Love we have it. to cover that at some point. Love because it. that is probably my favorite season they've ever done yeah that that season is so silly goofy um but something that i know that we'll be covering when it comes out that i want to talk about is that's gonna be a lot yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah. you're gonna bring up that we're gonna cover is the announcement that radio silence is developing some sort of like unnamed monster movie like circa universal which I'm super excited about, but they've also already announced that Melissa Barrera from the Scream movies, um, who plays Sam, is going to be joining them in this movie. I could actually see her as the Bride of Frankenstein, no, to be stop, honest. No, don't. No. I, she's got the look for it. I don't... I, but just here's saying. my thing. I don't think that they would... If they're going to do a Universal Monster... I don't think that they would, or anyone really should, do Frankenstein because Del Toro. And, like, I'm sorry, That's but, true. like, you're going to have to sit down. Like, all of the other filmmakers are going to be fucking quaking when that comes out. Like, mm-hmm, correct. Maybe it could be Creature of the Black Lagoon. That's also kind of what I was considering. I was like, mm. That would be slay, to be honest, because that is my favorite Universal monster, for sure. And we haven't had a recent adaptation. I mean, we've had so many Dracula movies. We've had so many... Um, Frankensteins, actually. Yeah, Frankensteins. Like, different adaptations. We just got a, a Invisible Man. So it could also yeah. be the Wolfman. I could see them doing yeah. that. Or... Yeah. Creature from the Black Lagoon. But also I feel like Del Toro would make a sick creature from the Black Lagoon. I think we've talked about that before. Mm. But uh, we just love him so much. Yeah. And just so excited. So I will be very interested to see what movie they're gonna be adapting. But but we just spoke but. about it. There was a trailer that dropped this past week, I wanna say, from Universal. Which speaks about one of their very famous Universal monsters, and that is the Last Voyage of the Demeter. 
Um, have you seen the trailer? I think I've seen bits and bobs. I haven't actually fully sat down to watch it. It's like kind of like playing silently while we're talking about it. And from the poster itself, kind of makes me excited a little bit. So there is a like a lore behind this because if you've seen Dracula, read Dracula, or like know any sort of information about him, um, when he is sailing to London from Romania, he's on a ship and everybody, the Demeter, and everybody's like, what the fuck? Because the ship arrives with no crew. Everyone's gone. They're dead. So this is cut. We've never had a movie, or at least I don't think that we've ever had a movie where it talks about this part of his Dracula villain origin story. I don't think we have. I don't think this part of his story is well known compared to, you know, other parts of like him in his castle and shit like that. Yeah. So this is before him coming to meet Mina. So... I'm interested. The trailer, to be quite honest with you, um, I don't know how I feel. Um, am I going to be watching? Yes. Do I like that they played a Smashing Pumpkin song underneath? <laughs> Absolutely. But even in the novel, like, it's barely talked about. So it's going to be just these filmmakers making up their own story, which is cool. But yeah, and also we already know what's going to happen. Like, we already know that they're all going to (laughs) die. Either that or somebody jumps ship. Mm, Maybe, maybe. My my thing is, just like from seeing it, DreamWorks is involved. And I'm not entirely sure DreamWorks is going to give us what we need from this. We're going to have to wait and see because all we have is a trailer at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, the trailer didn't really move my meter that much. But um, but I, I would rather them not show a lot than show everything at once in the trailer. Because that's one of my qualms, as you know, is that they show too much in the trailer or like end scenes or like really important scenes that kind of ruin stuff from the films. And then when I watch it, I'm like, well, that was in the fucking trailer now. Like, I hate it. So it'll be interesting. Well, there was also another trailer that dropped that this week that has people fucking freaking out. Um, And I don't know if this is on your radar at all, um, but we got the trailer for A24's newest horror movie, which is Talk To Me. Have you gotten to see that trailer? I've seen bits again. Haven't been able to sit down and watch it. But like, you know, I kind of trust A24 at this point. Like, yes, they do some hits and they do some mists. But it seems like they've picked this up from a very small team. And I saw um a TikTok by that team that were very excited. Like they announced that their film got picked up by A24. Yeah. And the whole team and everyone was so excited and so happy. That it gives me hope for this film because if the if you know the team behind it are excited that A twenty four has allowed them to make a full budget of it, then you know, yes, I'll see anything at this point from A twenty four because they they give some weird and wacky shit. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, so I think that this um movie was shown at the Overlook Film Festival, which. 
would be a dream to go to, but yeah, people are already kind of talking just based on the trailer. Like, it looks dark, it looks gritty, it kind of looks like an A24 film, but also... I've been seeing some people talk about that it reminds them of Flatliners. I don't know if you've ever watched either the original or the remake of that starring um, Elliot Page. It's essentially they're playing this game and it's British people. It's British people and they're playing a game with like this hand of a corpse and they chant some sort of spell and somebody has to hold on to the hand, but you can only hold on to it for like, 90 seconds and I'm assuming that in those 90 seconds the person that's holding the hand becomes possessed because they kind of give that to you in the trailer but then they are haunted by what they've seen and I'm thinking that our main character continues to hold the hand and do it a bunch of times which again is flatliners but I guess we'll have to see this summer it looks decent but it looks like it's a different take on possession. Yeah. Which that genre has been done into the motherfucking ground. As we discussed during our possession roulette episode. Yeah. It will be nice to see if this does bring a fresh take on possession because the next bit of horror news is something I'm not excited about at all because why the fuck is it needed? Well, well. I will say, as I said in our Possession Roulette episode, I am a Possession movie obsessy. Like, I love them. I have a fucking planchette tattooed on me. I love them, and I think that'll be interesting to see this take on it. But yes, if you're talking about the show that I think you're talking about that's going to be coming to Max, (laughs) I'm just like, please, again, we talked about this in possession roulette let it fucking die yes yes if you don't know what we're talking about um which i'm sure you do but we have to speak about it um (laughs) there's gonna be a conjuring tv series and it's basically going to be set to continue the story from the previous films so basically carrying on the warren's stories Listen, I stopped watching The Conjurings after I think the second one and after a couple of their spin-offs because um it's just it's just been done into the ground. Like I can't with this franchise anymore. I I have fatigue from it basically. Yeah. And it's just like again, James Wan is like at the helm of this and it's just like I really want one of his friends to just keep it a hundred with him and be like, dude, come he on. needs us in his life going, listen, listen. I'd be like, big fan, big fan of Saw, big fan. But the Conjuring series, however, needs to die. <laughs> Let it die, please. Somebody that's listening, <laughs> please go and send him the reboot uh, or the uh, possession roulette episode. And um, I think that'll speak for itself because, yeah, it's just like, why is this needed? Why is it needed? Literally. But then we've also gotten a fifth installment of the Insidious films as oh well. My like, God, I know. It, it's just like some franchises, like, yes, the first film was really good. The second one, it was okay. And then they just continued it over and over and over again. And it's like, do we want this? Did people ask for this? 
or is it something that the studios have like, oh yeah, we've made some money on this. Let's just throw some more money at it. Yep, I'm not excited for that show, but I am excited for the other show that um, was just shared with us, um, I think, yeah, uh, this week. And that is that the Stranger Things world is getting an animated series through Netflix. I wish that my dad was alive to see this because my dad loves Stranger Things. Like, we would have, like, a full marathon we'd watch a whole season have a bunch of food and he loved cartoons and like I'm excited because I know that the Duffer brothers want this to be like how they grew up with like an 80s weekend morning cartoon and I think that they'll do it justice and I'm excited hearing Stranger Things animated series why does it give me like it'll feel like it was going to be like a Scooby-Doo sort of thing that's like kind of what I'm getting (laughs) at and I don't know like they're keeping like very tight-lipped about what's going on which they're always tight-lipped about anything to do with Stranger Things and you know what I respect it. I really do, you know? I'm kind of wondering if they're going to keep the cast of characters or if they're not. I I know that at one point Finn was doing an interview with one of the late night people and he said that he had gone to the Duffer Brothers and was like, hey, if you're going to ever like make a spinoff show, it would be smart if you did X, Y, and Z. And they both looked at him and were like, how did you know that? Like, who, where, where yes. did you hear that from? Like, who who told you that? And he was like, oh, shit. Like, did I figure something yeah. out? So I'm wondering if this is that or... Uh, it'll be interesting. I think they're doing a book as well where they're um, going to be doing a story of Lucas in a book. Hmm. So could be interesting to see what exactly the animated show is going to you know contain maybe it'll be you know a whole different group of people maybe it will be you know um other kids that are like 11 oh, yeah. following their stories that'll be quite interesting i you also know? would love to see a spin-off with steve robin and erica like we need that yes, yes, yes. please we need the babysitter club please please yeah so we've had some good horror news this week i want to just finish this off yeah because i just saw something that's oh. gonna make you kind of happy <gasps> okay give it to me rob zombie has stated he had he no longer plans on making any more Firefly family movies or any sequels to the Monsters. I saw that. Like I, I said on our other episode, I watched House of a Thousand Corpses and I'm going to watch the others, Devil's Rejects and um Three from Hell. But yeah. I would like if he just didn't make anything else, to be honest. I think he his style of work could benefit from something else. I don't think continuing with the Fireflies after the three films he's done with them is the right thing. I mean, I think I, if I remember correctly, like the last one, it concludes off the Fireflies story. So be interesting if he does stick to that. Or if he backtracks. 
I have seen his Halloweens. I've seen Lords of Salem a few years ago back, so I'll need to rewatch that too. I want to go through like all big horror filmmakers catalogs just so I can get more familiar with everyone. And he's the one that I've been like not wanting to watch. So I think that I just need to like fall into it. Maybe we'll do a Rob Zombie episode. Maybe, maybe. Some of his stuff can be very jarring, but I, I think I've said it before, but I think he would make quite a good Texas Chainsaw film, to be honest. Yeah, I think he should do a a Texas Chainsaw 2 remake. Not even the original. Ooh. I think that he would do well with the, the second one. Um, yeah. But yeah, are you ready to get into American Psycho? I'm so ready, Meg. Are you ready? Just start doing the moonwalk. <laughs> His little dances, like, I know that I should not love that, but I do love that. Hey, if there's one thing about Christian Bale, sometimes his improv is excellent. And his little dancey dance was improved by him, so... So before we get into the movie, I do have some kind of, like, things to talk about with the book, as well as, like, pre-production of this movie, because this, um, this story is very heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and pre-production for it was messy as well. With, so with lying gaze. Like, Holy God, in, yeah. Like, intruding in it. So, this movie uh, that came out in 2000 was actually based on a novel written by Brett Easton Ellis in 1991. Um, I have not gotten a chance to read the book. Um, if we had more time to like research this, I definitely would have because this is a book that I've always wanted to read and I've seen numerous reviews about the insanity of it. But yeah, uh, this book when it first came out or was being published by Simon and Schuster, um, this was Ellis's third novel. So like he wasn't super well known, but like he had some sort of literary fame, but people thought that it was so misogynistic, so inherently violent, they wanted it banned. Like, they did not want it made at all. And it didn't get banned, yeah. but they dropped him as an author. So he had to find another publisher to even get yeah. his story published. Well, when he did get it published, I think it was banned in Germany and in Australia it was shrink-wrapped and you had to be 18 plus to purchase the book because of how violent it is. And that's probably why I have no interest in like reading it or listening to an audio book about it because I like listen the film, some of the like stuff in the film, it's kind of like, ooh. So, like, the fact that they toned it down for the film from what is in the book is kind of like, oh, I don't know if I can mentally handle that, you know? And see, I'm the type of person that reading it, like, I feel like I can visualize it more. So I'm kind of like, ooh, what am I, like, signing myself <laughs> up for? But I think that it'll be a good time. Maybe it's just because I've only seen the movie, but, like, I feel like reading it and watching the movie, like, Patrick Bateman is almost like a caricature of, like, yuppie 80s culture. He's a stand-in for the upper-class white men of Wall Street. Um, And 
I feel like if it's Ellis's way of commenting on people of that sort of stature, in a literary sense, if he made so many people uncomfortable just with that, then he nailed what he intended to do, which I really admire. 100%, 100%. And the fact that, he, like, listen, he managed to write this book as an openly gay man as well. He wasn't like, openly gay at this point. Oh, but yeah. To think like, people saying it's misogynist, maybe because he wasn't open at the time, it was like internalized yeah, like misogyny, homophobia towards himself that managed to make, like allow him to write this book and, you know, portray Patrick Bateman as this very un stable man yeah like that man needs help yes. get him help yes he does and i think that it's interesting that he was able to capture this in a book form but he did not ever want this to be a film he didn't think that it would translate on screen and um at first david cronenberg was attached to direct this and Ellis was he absolutely hated that man. Dude, Ellis him. was writing this screenplay for it for years. And like I read somewhere that it was like supposed to have a musical number. Like he was just like It was supposed to end with a musical number. Yeah, he was just like fucking over this story. Like he was just like, this is bullshit that this is getting made into a film. And Cronenberg was uh-huh. like, let's hire some other writers, please. And then he just ended up hating their screenplays. So Cronenberg was like, deuces. Deuces. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so then they brought on um, Mary Harron. Mary Harron and Genevieve Turner, which they both co-wrote it, but Harron ended up directing it. And... She chose Christian Bale. Like, she wanted him so badly. The way she was like, ride or die for this man was exquisite. But Lionsgate was like, fuck that. Who this man? Let's get Leo DiCaprio because Leo also wanted it. Yes, Leo did want it. And he was, they were going to let Heron go but keep her script and Oliver Stone was supposed to direct it but then him and Leo parted professional ways they did not uh they decided not to continue to work together so they both exited and they brought Heron back in but she only said that she would do it if Christian Bale was going to get the role because She said that she um, auditioned a bunch of people for him and he took the role of Patrick Bateman, like, seriously. Like, the other people were, like, either playing into the horror element of it or, like, the comedy element too much or they were thinking that he was just, like, some cool guy that just, like, ended up killing people. But Christian Bale was, like, he's a monster. Yeah. He was the one that really, truly understood the story of Patrick Bateman. And the studio was still like, no, fuck this man. So they then offered it to a load of actors. Some, uh, well, basically all of them turned it down. Some turned it down as um, a 
like, you know, a favor to Christian Bale because he politely asked him, he's like, hey, I know they've offered you this role. Can you, as a favor to me, please turn it down? And they're like, yeah, no problem, dude. So they turned it down. And basically every actor they went to, they went to Matt Damon, um, Ben Affleck, you name it, like the hotshots of like the early 2000s men all turned it down so the studio was like okay fine you can have christian bale however you can't go over this budget like you're like getting like x million amount of budget. or something yeah and he took yeah. like a very small budget like he wanted this role he worked out like intensely for this role and he yeah. kind of did like a I don't agree with, but was method acting. Like, he didn't really talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, they all were He just like, stayed oh. in an American accent the whole time until the rap party when he then spoke in his Welsh accent, his native Welsh accent, and people were like, you're not American? <laughs> like, you're so good. But he took the minimum pay because that's what Liongate said. Like, you if you want to be in this film, you have to take the minimum pay of, like, I think 50k Yeah, like, to be in this super film. small. But, honestly, his performance of Patrick Bateman is unforgettable. I'm thinking about how different it would have been if it went to, say, Leonardo DiCaprio or Edward Norton. And it's just, like, I cannot see anybody else but Christian Bale playing Patrick Bateman. I don't think they would have got Patrick Bateman right because fun. Also, fun fact: um, Christian Bale can make himself sweat on demand, which is fucking crazy. It is crazy. So, like in one of the scenes when they're all talking about their business cards, and you know the last one gets shown, and he just manages to make himself sweat on demand while watching it. And it's insane that someone can do that. So I don't think there will be like those little bits like that, like his little dance that he improvised with um, Paul Allen scene. Like those little bits I don't think would have ever been for or by those other actors. So we would have gotten a completely different portrayal of Patrick Bateman. And I don't think it would have been as iconic as it is, you know? No, and... I don't think that this movie could have worked if somebody didn't play them as he did because Mm -hmm. he was able to balance, like, the satire of it with, like, the depravity of what is happening in that, which is so good because it's not, he's not meant to be funny, but just like you said, like, some of the shit that he does is funny. And the, the scene where he's, like, doing his skincare he has better skincare than me like that scene is etched into my brain every time I'm like in my mirror like doing my skincare I'm like but I'm not Patrick Bateman I'm not Patrick Bateman (laughs) what gets me every time is that he managed to take off that face mask on the first take in one fucking piece and it's like oh why is that sexy he's been practicing now he did make a comment that like in one of the openings opening scenes he's like i'm up to a thousand stomach crunches and that's when i knew that he really was psychotic because who would do that to himself (laughs) i can do maybe three 
I wouldn't even be able to like get I would lay down on the floor and I'd be like this is where I'm gonna stay for like the next 20 minutes this is home to me now <laughs> yeah this bring me a blanket a pillow I will sleep here but he says one line in this movie that like I rewatched it this morning um before we did this that like fucking shook me and that is he says I think my mask of sanity is about to slip that line is fucking scary because even he recognized that this has always been inside of him but like it's gonna come out and you can also interpret that in so many different ways that maybe he didn't know that he was capable of doing that or maybe we'll get into it later because people believe that this was all a hallucination like maybe he realized that that was gonna start happening just that line and his delivery of that was like oh shit yeah it's it's so interesting because when it obviously came out and um mary heron did an interview the interviewer asked he was like a lot of people think that you know that it was all in his head it was a hallucination she was like i didn't intend for it to be like that when i did it it you know it was all supposed it's real but it's so subjective because even I, watching it myself, I'm like, is this real? Because there are certain things that just don't make sense. Now, I will also say that Brett Easton Ellis did an interview and he came out and he said, I don't know if the events that what I wrote about are true or if they're a figment of Patrick's imagination. So this can be taken so many different ways. Like, so um, let's get into him killing Paul Allen because it's my favorite scene. I was going to say, so Paul Allen doesn't even know who Patrick Bateman is. He keeps mistaking him for Marcus and I mean, it's understandable because they have they have the same glasses. glasses. His haircut is just slightly better. better. <laughs> but my <laughs> thing is with the Paul Allen thing is like, did he really kill him, or was he mistakenly killing someone else? Like, there's just so many yeah. things that we can get into about this. But that death scene was like a crime of passion. Honestly, like the lead up to it, where. You can see Patrick trying to basically... You can see him being unhinged, but also try and act like a normal person at the same time. So the contrast of him trying to be normal, but also you can see the unhingedness in his eyes. The, you know, the axe, the raincoat, the music is just... It's so it's such a weird scene to watch, but it's my favourite thing. One of my favourite things in films is when there is upbeat music playing over a very horrific scene because the juxtaposition of those two things makes it so unnerving and I love it yeah and I thought that this scene really worked because Jared Leto seemed genuinely frightened I think that's because they did not let him rehearse the scene at all he did not know that he was coming at him with an axe and I mean you can tell that when you watch it back because 
it, he was scared in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't really know what was going on. And they, I think, only had, like, one chance to do this scene. So that was also done in one shot because of how they ended up doing the the blood effects to it. So that scene is super good. And also, William Defoe looking into him being missing, it's like, was he really there or was he not? I love the way they did William Defoe's detective character. Like, they made him record his scene three yes, different yes. ways. Unsuspecting, kind of suspicious, knows that Patrick's the killer. And the way they spliced all three of them together, oh, it, it, I've not seen anyone do that in a film since then and it's so effective because you're like hold on what is going on with this detective like is he there does he know that he's the killer is he unsuspecting are they friends like is he an actual detective like because it seems almost too coincidental that he brought up Huey Lewis to him but honestly Willem Dafoe I think is the scariest part of this movie for me he's a great actor yes but like Green Goblin fucking terrified me as a kid like I was quivering every time he was on the screen and I think that he's just forever tainted in my mind now he's got the perfect face for a villain (laughs) yeah there are some people that just have the perfect face for either a good guy or a bad guy and Willem Dafoe can be so emotive with his face like one of my favorite performances by him is the grand budapest hotel Mm, mm -hmm. i love him in that film so much because he's just so willem dafoe in it and that's the thing about him is that any role he does he brings himself into it but like not in like oh he's just playing himself sort of thing like the rock does (laughs) (laughs) you know but like him in this like the way he was also able to convey those three different scenes so differently as well, but also make it what's the word I'm looking for? Cohesive, so they could splice it all together. Yeah, he's a brilliant actor. I love him so much. Now, what I think is brilliant is we see Bateman exercising in his house, and he does something that I do. He put he was exercising to a horror movie because when I'm <laughs> exercising in my house, I don't normally do it to Texas Chainsaw, but like I'll watch a movie when I'm doing it. But what I think is interesting and very smart is him watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I believe that one of the most intense killings is not Paul Allen, but it's when he kills the prostitute with that chainsaw it's definite (gasps) foreshadowing um in that for me that at least scene alone is so it's gonna sound weird when this comes out my mouth it's so aesthetically pleasing Mm. from the cinematography Mm. it's just the way it just perfectly falls from the top floor and Gets her right at the bottom. Gets her good. I am kind of curious to know, because this was not the second time that he's had sex with this prostitute. Um, He found her that first time, and I'm assuming that he hired an escort as well to hook up with. And the second time, before the chainsaw scene, she does not want to go with him. She 
is like, I ha- I'm going to have to have surgery after last time. And I'm like, what the fuck did he do? Because in that scene, you just really see them having a threesome. And it's the fact that they were listening to studio bike Phil Collins in that scene that just fucking sent me. Like, his music obsession is my obsession. <laughs> but, like, what the fuck did he do to her that's, like, she's so hesitant and is having to have surgery? So, from that scene, they the the two women tr- in the, the first time he has sex with this prostitute, they try and leave, and he's just sat there and he goes, you're not going anywhere. And then the next thing we know is that they're leaving, basically beaten up. So I think he's sadistic. Yeah. Sadist- like like someone who likes to injure their partner well, during clearly. intercourse. But I'm just like, So like Jesus. he he fucked her up. He fucked her up so badly. So the fact that she would even consider doing it for a second time, like no matter what the cost was, Oh, girl, she should have was like, no amount of money is worth it. Yeah. And it wasn't, she did. Yeah, I mean, she saw him killing this woman underneath the sheets that he was hooking up with. And I'm pretty sure that that is Genevieve Turner, who was also a writer for this. Also, openly gay as well. Yeah, she's been on the L word. And you gotta be gay to be on the L word. Um, But (laughs) she's running down the hall and... Uh, my question, which also could be, is he hallucinating this, is how is it like four in the fucking morning and she's banging on people's doors, screaming bloody murder, and then he starts up a motherfucking chainsaw and chases her down the hallway and ain't nobody come out their apartment? This is this is one of the things that makes me think that it is hallucination or there is no one living in those apartments and that's why he does it. Because when she's going, basically running through the apartment to try and find somewhere to hide, we see bodies after bodies after bodies. Uh, Is anyone living on that floor? That is very, very true. And I saw someone on the internet. I don't remember if it was Reddit or if it was Letterboxd. I think it was Reddit. But I'm going to have to start writing people's names down. I saw someone say that, like, he could be killing people, but not on the level that he actually thinks he is. Like, his perception of himself is so inflated that maybe he is killing people, but he isn't as unhinged as we see in the film. Like, that's just his viewpoint on himself being a killer, which I think is interesting because, you know, yeah, he could probably stab somebody, but he thinks of it as so much more that, like, he is the big bad. So, in a sense, he is hallucinating, but he is killing people. Like, a common example of a character like this is Lottie from Yellow Jackets. The hallucinations she has, she truly believes that, you know, she is getting, like, someone's talking to her and that she, what she's doing, like, you know, cutting her hand, giving the blood, you know blessing um while they go out to hunt um it's like she is doing something more powerful than she actually is but it's because she's not on her antipsychotic meds and He's i think patrick psychotic. bateman he, he he needs to be on antipsychotics because from one of the scenes as well a cash machine starts talking to yes. him to feed hit the stray kitten to me that is like okay you you are having a psychotic break see okay and that scene is 
really up for debate, like, did it happen? Because it starts with that ATM scene, and then Mm -hmm. he shoots an old lady, and the cops come after him, and he, like, explodes a cop car using just But even he... he... That's what I'm saying. Even he, like, looks at the pistol like, what? How did that just happen? I think the cash machine scene following into that is him having a psychotic break. His hallucinations and psychosis is intensifying because there is no way his little pew-pew would blow up a fucking cop car. Like, it's all in his head. I think, yes, he probably has killed people, like you said, but not to the level of aggression and malice that we are seeing from his point of view in this film he is an unreliable narrator yes but i think that that scene ending with him or that killing spree ending with him actually confessing to his lawyer is so powerful because just that monologue of him being like i killed 20 people oh maybe 40 people he is like desperate at that point like and and you can see that, and he's sweating a lot. I wonder if that was... Oh, horribly, horribly. But, like, when he's confessing, and in that particular monologue, where he's like, maybe, you know, I killed 20 people, maybe 40. To me, watching it, as someone who watched a lot of true crime, yeah, it kind of feels like a serial killer confessing their crimes to get the fame and fortune that gets from you know how many people they've killed their name's going to be remembered forever like him confessing to his lawyer that i killed 20 people no maybe 40 like upping it to make him sound you know more unhinged than he probably is or maybe also not that or not only that but like maybe he is so deep into his psychosis and for a moment he realized like wait was it only 20 people or was it 40 people like and he's just so desperate to want to be believed and to have somebody save him because you know he obviously is not doing well at this point that was like his cry Mm. for help but yeah I think that it's interesting that, and something to note, that the he goes back to Paul Allen's apartment, and it's white. There's a realtor there with people. He's going into the closet where a few scenes ago we saw her seeing all these dead people mm-hmm. hung up in the closet. The bathroom has a bunch of people, and it just has painting supplies. Like, again, was he hallucinating all of that? Or did somebody just clean up his mess? Or what's what's going on? Was that even Paul Allen's apartment? Because like you said, what if it was just an empty thing of apartments? Uh, I'm pretty sure the realtor said that no one of the name of Paul Allen lived there. So... Oh! Oh! He, like I said, he is an unreliable narrator and the whole film is from his point of view so we only get one side of the story a story of someone who is unhinged and most likely in psychosis and he's telling us all the things he's done and yes maybe he has done those things but he might be embellishing mm-hmm. those things to make him sound more exciting because every time we hear people talk about Patrick Bateman they talk about how boring he is mhm like he like he is just 
another Wall Street guy. And you could also argue that in the final scene when he is sitting down having drinks with his colleagues and he sees his lawyer and he goes and is like, did you get the message? And he was like, that was hilarious. Like, that's so funny. And then he says to him, I just had lunch with Paul Allen in London like a week ago or whatever he says, like 10 days ago. Yeah. Like, what? What do you mean? And also, we could argue that maybe he did kill somebody, but just as Paul Allen, quote unquote, mistook Patrick Bateman for Marcus, maybe Patrick Bateman mistook Paul Allen for somebody else. Yeah, because it's a common theme throughout this film that people, like a lot of the males get mistaken for other males in the film. Is it a case of Patrick Bateman isn't actually real and he is just an analogy for males on Wall Street that think they can get away with things that are illegal. And that is why I I see why people don't like the violence of this story. I see why people might think that it's misogynistic. But I personally take the character of Patrick Bateman as the embodiment of someone like that I don't I think that it was Ellis commenting on that particular culture of that particular time and I think that what makes it work is that that's what Mary Heron was doing when she directed like they their viewpoints aligned to like make him this kind of grandiose person or persona and that actually not be who that person really is yeah i mean when this film came out um 23 years ago it was labeled as sexist towards men (laughs) like you're gonna laugh at it like so many critics were like this is misogynist like it's sexist towards men but i bet they wouldn't say that if it was a male directing it yeah male producing it like because it was a two women behind the helm of this film i think they basically pointed the internalized misogyny they have for themselves and was like that's what's wrong with this film it's sexist towards men but if you really watch it it's not that it's watching someone that is crying out for help mm-hmm He's so unhinged and he wants to be this version of himself that's interesting and exciting that people remember, but he gets terrified of it, which is, you know, the scene of him doing the voicemail to his lawyer. One of the scenes that really gets me is when his um his receptionist or assistant goes yeah. through his desk and finds his notebook with the really violent drawings. Maybe he imagined it all in his head when he was doing those drawings. Maybe he does have violent tendencies that he's not acted upon because he's so unrememberable. Like, he's so forgettable. He's so boring, as everyone has... Like, basically all the males in this film have said, oh, he's so, you know, this, that, and the other, and they get his name wrong because they they just don't remember Patrick Bateman. And maybe he did do these acts of violence to be remembered like people will remember his name there's just so many different ways that you can interpret this which i dig and i think that it's cool that 
even the author of the actual story is just like, fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it was written so long ago when the film was like 23 years ago. Like, I know. Almost as old as us. Yeah. Like, that's so insane to think. But even watching it now, it's still a really good films you know there was no need for a sequel i was gonna say we're not gonna be talking about american psycho 2 it wasn't even supposed to be american psycho 2 it was supposed to be a completely different it was supposed to be a completely different title to the film and because it sounded so much like a female version of patrick bateman they're like let's just make it a sequel and then they added in the scene of you know, the character killing Patrick Bateman as a child. Like, it wasn't even supposed to be a actual made-from-the-beginning sequel to American Psycho. But again, it doesn't need a sequel. I think that at some point we need to do, like, a shitty sequel episode where we just talk about... Like a roulette sort of thing. Yeah, we, where we just talk about shitty sequels. But, um, yeah, you mentioned it, like... It, we both kind of were shook because I think yesterday, we're recording this on the 15th, was the 23-year anniversary of American Psycho. And V and I both already knew that we were going to be talking about this. And we're like, ha, that's crazy how that happened. Yeah. We decided a week ago from when we're recording this, I said, why don't we do American Psycho? And you're like, yeah, cool, sick, amazing. And then this keeps happening to us. We decide to do a topic and then all of a sudden there's either news about that topic or it's an anniversary of the topic. And we're like, whoa, are we just too good at our jobs? <laughs> <laughs> are we too good at this? Are we too good at the jobs that we don't get paid for? Um, but I think that this movie has gained a massive cult following, um, since like the 2010s on. I know a lot of people our age really, really dig this movie, which I think is interesting because like you said, like this movie is almost as old as we are, but there's just something so mysterious yet jarring about it that just kind of leaves you with so many questions but they almost get answered in the movie and I can appreciate a film like that and I'm I'm glad we were able to talk about it. I mean, shit, this movie came out in 2000 and it has a amazing cast. You have, I mean, we talked about some of them. You have, if you haven't seen the movie, it's been 23 years. What the fuck are you doing? I I don't even know because I feel like every horror fan has watched American Psycho. I mean, you have Christian Bale, William Dafoe. You also have Jared Leto, Reese fucking Witherspoon, Justin Trudeau. Like you have so many people in this movie. And I think that, like I said before, I think that the decision to keep Patrick Bateman as Christian Bale was the smartest thing that you could have done because when you think of American Psycho, you think of him like splattered in blood after that Paul Allen scene or him yelling over the staircase just covered in blood. He owned that role and I think that this movie almost would be nothing without him. A hundred percent. And the reason why there are so many famous actors supporting Christian Bale in this film is because Lion Gate told Mary Harron because mm-hmm. they didn't think that he he could hold the film by himself. They needed to have all these famous people around him to get people wanting to watch the film. And now look at Christian Bale. Like he's been Batman for fuck's sake. 
And a weird coincidence in the book is that Bateman is actually misspelled a couple of times to Batman. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> a weird coincidence, I would say, but Christian Bale was such a big actor now and he was like i think 24 25 when he was cast in this role yeah he kept saying i'm 27 and i'm like i'm about to turn 26 this is making me feel sick you said you were 27 about to turn 26 wait no i'm saying he kept saying that he was 27 <laughs> oh and i'm about to turn 26 like in I'm two already months 26 yeah that's what i'm saying and it's just like Oh my god, yeah. I'm getting a little fucking woozy here. But like <laughs> I'm I'm happy that we talked about this and we can talk about the shitty sequel at some point, but if maybe maybe if we <laughs> spin a roulette on it. But if you, if we get drunk enough, I think. <laughs> okay, the shitty sequel episode um Maybe we can have a couple of drinks. But um, if you love American Psycho as much as we do, you can always let us know on our social medias. B, what's our socials? So we've got the tweet tweets. It is at Horahans Pod. <laughs> and then we got the IGs at Horahans Podcast. You can message us, comment, DM, whatever you like, and, you know, suggest stuff to us, speak to us about previous episodes, or if you just want to chat about a horror film you've watched recently or that you watched in your childhood that you just want to geek out about, let us know, and we'll happily communicate. V and I love making new friends that are interested in horror, so... Um, share this with your friends if you're listening to this and you like us or uh, like I said previously if you don't like us you can share with your friends and just be like listen to these dumb fucks but um, yeah so I hope that we have made some new friends on this episode I hope so I wonder if we'll have any new listeners and if you're a new listener just wave hello in our Instagram comments. Um but yeah, I think that pretty much covers American Psycho. Like it's a stellar mm-hmm. movie if you haven't seen it. Uh I mean, who hasn't? Yeah, I who know, hasn't seen it? I don't it? know what to say, but um V, do you have any final thoughts for today's episode? Feed me a stray cat. No. No! <laughs> no. <laughs>